Happy Toons Day and Happy Halloween! My name is Frances and I love music. Love it. And movies. Movies and music. And the music used in movies. And TV. I'm the friend who notices the music used in the media constantly to the point that my friends think of me immediately if and when they notice it themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to my podcast, Needle Drops That Will Change Your Life. What is a needle drop? I'm glad you asked. Wikipedia defines a needle drop as the use of an existing recording rather than an original score in a film. I'd also add television or honestly any other form of media. Video games, movie trailers, and more. For example, any of the songs I discuss on this very podcast. Why should you care about my thoughts on needle drops? Well, I'm a great person, obviously. But other than that, being a music supervisor is my dream job. But I'm stuck in Texas where there aren't a ton of opportunities for me to get into that industry. So I'm dipping my toe into the world of podcasting to discuss the incredible work that music supervisors do. What exactly do they do? Let me tell you. According to the Berklee College of Music, music supervisors artfully select and license pre-existing songs and recordings for use in movies, television shows, and video games. Today we're meeting the lovely family of vampires in our new hometown and running away from a rival non-quote vegetarian group of vampires as we discuss the needle drop of Supermassive Black Hole by Muse in 2008's Twilight. Stephanie Meyer was a shit writer, but her taste in music is unparalleled, and for that, I am grateful for the Twilight movie soundtracks. We have quite the music supervision team for Twilight. Our music supervisor is the great Alexandra Patsavas. She founded the record label Chop Shop Records in the late 90s and later Chop Shop Music Supervision, which works with soundtracks on TV shows and movies. The label works with indie rock bands that are often unsigned or signed with smaller labels. All five of the Twilight Saga soundtracks were released via Chop Shop Records. Patsavis has been nominated three times for a Grammy Award for Best Compilation Soundtrack Album for Motion Picture, Television, or Other Visual Media. Her first nomination was for the compilation for Grey's Anatomy Volume 2, the only television soundtrack in the category. Her other nominations were for Twilight, the original motion picture soundtrack, and the Twilight Saga Eclipse, the original motion picture soundtrack. In 2020, Patsavas joined Netflix in the newly created role of Director of Music Creative Production for Original Series, overseeing Netflix's creative music services and production strategy for Original Series. Her other credits include Queen Charlotte, a Bridgerton story, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, Bridgerton, Supernatural, How to Get Away with Murder, Grey's Anatomy, Designated Survivor, The Hunger Games Catching Fire, and most notably, The O.C. Ginger Greaves is one of the music coordinators for Twilight. She founded Volume Up Music Services in 2020 after leaving Chop Shop Records. Her previous music coordination credits include Lucifer, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, How to Get Away with Murder, Riverdale, Supernatural, and The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Casey Truman is another music coordinator. They are now a music supervisor with Superfecta Music, which was founded in 2020. Their other music supervision credits include The Sandman, Party Down, Gotham Nights, and more. 
and previous music coordination credits include Grey's Anatomy, Heart of Dixie, Private Practice, Water for Elephants, Mad Men, and Gossip Girl. Brittany White is our last music coordinator. She is now a music supervisor with White Room Music Supervision, which was founded in 2020. Her music supervision credits include Station 19, The Handmaid's Tale, and Pretty Little Liars Original Sin. Her previous music coordination credits include Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, How to Get Away with Murder, The Runaways, Scandal, The Carrie Diaries, and more. So what do we know about Muse and Supermassive Black Hole outside of the needle drop? Supermassive Black Hole is a song written by English rock band Muse. It was written by Muse lead singer and principal songwriter Matt Bellamy. Released as the lead single from the band's fourth studio album, Black Holes and Revelations, on June 19, 2006. The song charted at number four on the UK singles charts, the highest singles charts position the band has achieved to date in the UK. In October 2011, Enemy placed it at number 74 on its list of 150 best tracks of the past 15 years. The song was certified platinum by the Recording Industry Association of America in 2015. Once again, congrats to the Writers Guild. I'm really excited that your new contract is um, good to go, all approved, it looks like. And I'm proud of you guys for staying in solidarity with the actors as their strike continues. Seems like negotiations are picking back up. I know early this week, they are working individually, the actors and the studios. And hopefully they are coming back together later this week or early next week to figure things out and get things squared away. So who are the characters in Twilight? Kristen Stewart is Bella Swan, a 17-year-old girl who moves to the small town of Forks, Washington from Phoenix, Arizona and falls in love with Edward Cullen, a vampire. Robert Pattinson plays Edward Cullen, a 108-year-old vampire who was changed in 1918 and still appears to be 17. He is Bella's love interest and eventually falls in love with her. He has the ability to read minds with the exception of Bella's along with superhuman speed. Billy Burke plays Charlie Swan, Bella's father and Fork's chief of police. Peter Facinelli plays Carlisle Cullen, a compassionate 300-plus-year-old vampire who looks to be in his early 30s. He serves as the town's physician and is the Cullen family patriarch. Elizabeth Reeser plays Esme Cullen, Carlisle's vampire wife and the matriarch of the Cullen family. Ashley Green plays Alice Cullen, Jasper Hale's mate, a vampire who can see the future based on decisions that people make. Kellen Lutz plays Emmett Cullen, He is physically the strongest vampire of the Cullen clan. Nikki Reed plays Rosalie Hale, Emmett Cullen's mate, 
a vampire described as the most beautiful person in the world. She is hostile towards Bella throughout the film, worried that Edward's relationship with the human puts their clan at risk. Jackson Rathbone plays Jasper Hale, a Cullen family member who can manipulate emotions. He is the newest member of the Cullen family and thus has the most difficulty maintaining their vegetarian diet of feeding only on animals rather than human blood. Taylor Lautner plays Jacob Black, an old childhood friend of Bella and a member of the Quileute tribe. Gil Birmingham plays Billy Black, Jacob's father. Anna Kendrick plays Jessica Stanley, Bella's first friend at Forks High School. Christian Serratos plays Angela Weber, one of Bella's new friends in Forks. Michael Welch plays Mike Newton, one of Bella's new friends who vies for her attention. Justin Chan plays Eric Yorkie, another of Bella's classmates who vies for her attention. Cam Gigandet as James Witherdale, the leader of a group of nomadic vampires that intends to kill Bella. He is Victoria's mate and a gifted tracker due to his unparalleled senses. Rochelle Lefevre? Lefebvre, as Victoria Sutherland, James' mate who assists him in hunting Bella, and Eddie Gathegi as Lauren de Raven, the most civilized member of James' coven. So what do we know about the characters in Twilight? IMDb summary. When Bella Swan moves to a small town in the Pacific Northwest, she falls in love with Edward Cullen, a mysterious classmate who reveals himself to be a 108-year-old vampire. Beat by beat. 17-year-old Bella Swan has decided to leave sunny Phoenix, Arizona to spend some time with her father, Charlie Swan, the chief of police in the perpetually cloudy and rainy city of Forks, Washington, so that her mother Renee and stepfather Phil can go on the road together for spring training. Bella's relationship with her father is cool, even though she hasn't seen him in a few years. When she arrives in Forks, he surprises her with a gift of a red pickup truck, which he purchased from his best friend, Billy Black. Bella remembers making mud pies with Billy's son, Jacob, and looks forward to having at least one friend at Forks High School. That is until Jacob reminds her that he is a Quileute Native American and goes to school on the reservation. On her first day of school, Bella is befriended by Eric Yorkie, the school's eyes and ears, and he introduces her to some of his friends. Edward Cullen is introduced at lunch. He is one of five foster kids adopted by Dr. Carlisle Cullen and his wife Esme. There's also Alice and Emmett and the twins, Rosalie and Jasper. Who are they? The Collins. They're, um, Dr. and Mrs. Collins' foster kids. They moved down here from Alaska, like, a few years ago. They kind of keep to themselves. Yeah, because they're all together. Like, together, together. Um, The blonde girl, that's Rosalie, and the big dark-haired guy, Emmett. They're like a thing. I'm not even sure that's legal. Yes, they're not actually related. Yeah, but they live together. It's weird. And, okay, 
the little dark-haired girl is Alice. She's really weird. And um, she's with Jasper, the blonde one who looks like he's in pain. Um, Dr. Collins like this foster dad slash matchmaker. <laughs> Maybe he'll adopt me. Who's he? <sighs> Edward Cohen. He's totally gorgeous, obviously, but apparently nobody here is good enough for him. <laughs> like I care, you know? So, yeah. Seriously, like, don't waste your time. <laughs> I wasn't planning on it. From the moment Edward lays eyes on Bella, he can't stop scowling at her. When Bella is assigned as his lab partner in biology, her stepping in front of the classroom fan makes him react as though he's getting sick. After Edward storms out of the door when the bell rings, Bella is puzzled as to what she could have done to anger him. When she overhears him in the office attempting to transfer out of biology, she decides to confront him and ask him what his problem is. However, she doesn't get the chance because Edward is absent for the next several days. When Edward does return to school, he seems changed. He introduces himself to Bella and asks her about herself, her family, and whether or not she likes the cold, rainy climate in Forks. Bella notices that his eyes seem like a different color than previously, and he answers awkwardly before walking away. Later that day, as Bella is about to get into her truck, another car careens out of control in the school parking lot. Within seconds, Bella is saved by Edward, who has crossed the parking lot and pulled her out of the way. He seemingly stopped the car with his bare hands, leaving Bella more puzzled than before. When she tries to ask Edward how he did it, he simply chalks it up to an adrenaline rush and refuses to talk about it. Further, he says that they shouldn't even be friends. That doesn't stop Bella from asking Edward to be her date when the kids decide to go surfing at La Push Beach on the Indian Reservation, but Edward doesn't show up. Yeah. Hey, the push, baby. You in? Should I know what that means? The push beach down on the Quileute Res. We're all going tomorrow. When the kids are joined on the beach by Jacob Black and two of his friends from the reservation, they learn that Edward Cullen was supposed to be Bella's date. One of Jacob's friends remarks, the Cullens don't come here. Later, Bella asks Jacob what he meant by that remark, and Jacob tells her of a Quileute legend that says that the Quileutes are descended from wolves, whereas the Cullens are descended from an enemy clan. The legend also goes that the Quileutes and the Cullens made a pact that requires the Cullens to stay off the Quileute land in exchange for the Quileutes keeping it secret what the Cullens really are. Although Jacob just calls it an old story, Bella suspects otherwise. She Googles the Quileute legend and notices that there is a bookstore in Port Angeles that sells several books on the legends. So she goes along with her new friends, Jessica and Angela, when they decide to go shopping in Port Angeles for their prom dresses. After purchasing her books, Bella heads to the restaurant where she planned to meet Jessica and Angela for dinner before heading back to Forks. Along the way, however, she is stopped by four guys with no good on their minds. Suddenly, Edward drives up, forces the guys to back off, and orders Bella to get in the car. When Edward and Bella finally join Jessica and Angela, the girls have already eaten. Edward offers to see that Bella gets some dinner and then drive her back to Forks, so Jessica and Angela take off, giving them a chance to talk privately. 
Edward reveals that he was following Bella because he has developed very protective feelings toward her. He also lets it slip that he could read what was going on in the minds of those lowlives and that he can read just about anyone's mind, except for hers. You gotta give me some answers. Mm. Yes, no. To get to the other side. Uh, 1.77245. I don't want to know what the square root of pi is. You knew that? How did you know where I was? I didn't. All right. What? Don't leave. I... Did you follow me? feel very protective of you. So you followed me? I was trying to keep a distance unless you needed my help, and then I heard what those lowlifes were thinking. Wait. <laughs> you say you heard what they were thinking? <sighs> so what, you... You read minds. <gasps> I can read every mind in this room, apart from yours. There's money, sex, money, sex, cat. And then you, nothing. On the drive back to Forks, Bella accidentally touches Edward's hand and is amazed at how cold it is. As they pass the Forks Police Department, they see several police cars, including that of Bella's father, with their lights flashing. Dr. Collins' car is also there, so Bella and Edward stop to see what's happening. They learn from Carlisle that the body of Wayland Forge, a good friend of Charlie's, was just found lying in a boat, dead from what looks like an animal attack, this being the second animal attack to happen near Forks. Later, after Bella returns home with her father, she starts paging through the books she purchased and comes across a Quileute legend about the Cold One. Googling it, she learns that the cold one is a fanged creature described as undead, immortal, possessing incredible speed, strength, and cold skin. It is said to drink human blood and variously equated with other legends about vampires. The next day, Bella confronts Edward about her findings. He doesn't deny it. You're impossibly fast and strong. Your skin is pale white and ice cold. Your eyes change color. And sometimes you speak like, like you're from a different time. You never eat or drink anything. You don't go out in the sunlight. How old are you? 17. How long have you been 17? A while. I know what you are. Say it. Out loud. Say it. I 
vampire. He takes her to the top of a mountain, out of the cloud bank, and shows her how a vampire's skin sparkles in the sunlight. This is why we don't show ourselves in sunlight. People would know we're different. what I am. It's like diamonds. You're beautiful. Beautiful. This, this is the skin of a killer, Bill. He explains how the Cullen family has learned to live on animal blood and considers themselves vegetarian vampires. Still, he's a killer, he says, and admits that his hostile reaction to her is because her blood smelled so appetizing that he wanted to kill her and feed on her. He's never wanted a human's blood as much as he wants hers. Bella replies that she doesn't care and insists she trusts him to maintain control. Edward goes on to explain that Carlisle turned him in 1918 when he was dying of Spanish influenza and that Waylon was killed by some other vampires, not the Cullens. The relationship between Bella and Edward progresses to the point where Edward decides to take Bella home and meet his family. But suddenly he announces complications and drives away as Billy and Jacob are arriving at Bella's house. As Edward's car passes theirs, he exchanges suspicious, wary glances with the two. Billy asks Charlie about the investigation into Wayland's death, and the conversation shows that Billy suspects what really happened to him, looking knowingly at Bella. The next day, Edward brings Bella to the Cullen home, a beautiful house on the outskirts of town. Upstairs, Bella finds the Cullens preparing a meal for her, although Bella has already eaten, as she knows the Cullens don't eat food and didn't expect to be fed. Most of the Cullens are super welcoming to Bella, especially Alice. Jasper is polite but distant, as refraining from human blood is still difficult for him. The one Cullen who's not pleased with Bella is Rosalie, who is concerned that the relationship between Edward and Bella may end badly, i.e. Edward will end up harming her, implicating the entire family and forcing them to move again. However, Edward is super careful not to lose control when he's around Bella and the relationship continues to grow. One rainy afternoon, Edward takes Bella out to play baseball with his family. Is this when the vampires like baseball? Well, it's the American pastime. And, uh, there's a thunderstorm coming. It's the only time we can play. You'll see why. <laughs> Glad you're here. We need an umpire. She thinks we cheat. Well, I know you cheat. Calm as you see him, Bella. Okay. Very 
In the middle of the game, three figures come walking out of the mist. Fearfully, the Collins regroup, hiding Bella behind them. The intruders are the rogue vampires who have been feasting on humans, including Wayland Forge. They introduce themselves as Laurent, Victoria, and James and ask whether they can join the Collins for a game. Thinking quickly, Carlisle agrees, saying some of the family are just leaving and Laurent and the others can take their places. A cue for Edward to get Bella safely away before she is detected. Everyone moves back into the field to take their places, but suddenly the wind shifts and James catches Bella's scent. He realizes that there is a human in their midst. Edward jumps between them. Laurent backs off and agrees to leave, taking James and Victoria with him. As they quickly drive away, Edward explains to Bella that James is a tracker. Edward's reaction to James catching her scent made this James' most exciting hunt ever, and now he won't give up until he has her. Bella's only salvation is if they can get to James first, rip him apart, and burn the pieces. Edward's plan is to catch a ferry to Vancouver, British Columbia, but Bella insists on going home first, against Edward's better judgment. They plan a ruse to get Bella quickly in and out of the house without her father knowing what's happening. When Bella gets home, she runs into the house and slams the front door, shouting it's over at Edward. She then informs Charlie that she's got to get away from Forks. She packs an overnight bag and, against her father's protests, gets in the truck where Edward is waiting, and they drive away. Unfortunately, James has already tracked Bella to Charlie's house and is on their trail. First, they stop at the Cullen's house, where Laurent has shown up to warn them about James and Victoria. The plan now is for Alice and Jasper to drive Bella south, while the others, including Rosalie and Esme, dressed in Bella's clothes, attempt to create a false trail through the woods. It doesn't take long, however, for James to realize that he's been duped. When James changes his course, Alice senses the change and has a vision of James heading into a ballet studio in Phoenix. Bella once took lessons there. While Jasper and Alice check them into a hotel in Phoenix, Bella gets a call on her cell phone from her mother, frantically worried about her. Suddenly, James comes on the line and informs Bella that he got her Phoenix address from Forks High School and arrived there just as her worried mother also got there. If Bella wants to save Renee's life, she must ditch Jasper and Alice and meet James at her old ballet studio. Bella takes a taxi to the studio, but when she gets there, she finds that it was a trick. James got an old VHS movie from her house, and it was only Renee's voice Bella was hearing. James then taunts her further by threatening to film their, quote, time together to break Edward's heart. That's creepy. As the camera rolls, James bats Bella around the room, then breaks her leg. Suddenly, Edward shows up, having gotten there faster than the others because of his greater speed. With their vampire strength, James and Edward toss each other around the room, breaking mirrors and windows with the impact of their bodies. At one point, James manages to swoop down on Bella and bite her arm. Carlisle, Alice, Emmett, and Jasper show up. Alice races to Bella's side. Carlisle pulls Edward off James, telling him that Bella needs him more. Overpowered by the smell of Bella's blood, Alice asks Carlisle to take over for her. While Carlisle bends over Bella, Alice breaks James' neck, and she, Jasper, and Emmett start a fire to burn his body. Carlisle says that Bella's femoral artery is severed and she's losing a lot of blood, but even more important is the fact that she's been bitten and the vampire venom has begun to affect her. Edward has a decision to make, either let the change happen or suck out the venom. 
Although Alice says she's seen a vision of Bella becoming a vampire, Edward refuses to allow the change, so he decides to suck out the venom even though it means that he might not be able to stop. When Bella awakens, she is in the hospital. Her mother is at her side and Edward is asleep in the chair. Bella claims to not remember anything that happened, so Renee tells her how Edward and his father came down from Forks to persuade her to a return, and when Bella went to see him at their hotel, she tripped, fell down two flights of stairs, broke her leg, and went through a window, and lost a lot of blood. The story is believable because Bella is a very clumsy and awkward person. When Renee leaves to get Charlie, who's waiting in the hospital cafeteria, Edward wakes up. He tells Bella that they took care of James and that Victoria ran off. Then he tells Bella he wants her to move to Jacksonville with her mother and stepfather so that she can't be hurt anymore by her association with him. Bella refuses. She moves back to Forks with her dad. Her leg is still in a cast, but Bella attends the prom with Edward. When Edward goes off to park the car, Jacob sits down next to Bella. Jacob tells Bella that his father wants her to break up with Edward and that he sent a warning. We'll be watching you. Bella laughs. Later, as Bella and Edward dance in the gazebo, she asks him why he didn't let her turn. She informs him that she's made the decision to be with him forever and offers him her neck. Edward bends over to bite her neck, but ends up simply kissing it. From a window overlooking the gazebo, Victoria watches Bella and Edward kiss. She turns away, lets down her hair, and smiles to herself. How does the song relate to the characters and or the movie? According to Matthew Bellamy, the song is about women. As he said back in 2006 in an interview, Supermassive Black Hole is partially inspired by a sinister presence at the center of the galaxy, alerting us the menage a trois involving R2-D2 and the Queen when she was hot. Okay, anyway. Verse 1. Edward must fight every instinct within himself not to bite Bella, and later in the movie, turn her when he must suck the venom out of her arm. He goes so far as to tell her they shouldn't even be friends earlier in the movie before quickly changing his mind. Chorus. Edward's whole family, with the exception of Rosalie, love Bella instantly. They're pulled into her gravity and go so far as to protect her from a coven of vampires looking to kill her. Verse 2. Edward is the only single one of his, quote, family. He's been a vampire for nearly a hundred years and has yet to find a mate. I'm sure his family doesn't expect him to find one at this point. He's also able to read the minds of every girl at school and knows they all find him attractive, but is unimpressed with their ways of thinking. Part of Bella's appeal to Edward is his inability to read her mind. 
other songs that could have been used for the scene. Maybe a little obvious for the scene, but honestly, it would work so well. Thunderstruck by ACDC. Thunderstruck is the lead single from the 1990 album The Razor's Edge by Australian hard rock band ACDC. It peaked at number four on the Australia Aria Singles Chart, number one in Finland, and number five on the U.S. Billboard Album Rock Tracks Chart. The song is used in movies such as Deadpool 2, Planes, Fire and Rescue, Varsity Blues, The Longest Yard, Battleship, Daddy's Home, and other TV shows and movies. The lyrics describe the sudden end of a relationship followed by a bender in the heart of Texas. First one. Edward is instantly drawn to Bella's scent. Worried he'll do something dangerous to himself, his family, and Bella, Edward tries pushing himself away from Bella, but it's no use and they eventually fall in love. Verse 2 Although Texas isn't on Bella's road trip at the end of the movie, Alice, Jasper, and Bella do drive to Arizona, hoping to save her mother from some impending doom. In Arizona, Edward has the opportunity to turn Bella into a vampire after James bites her, but pulls back, only sucking out the venom. Other needle drops in the movie. Author of the series Stephanie Meyer was consulted on the soundtrack, which includes music by bands she listened to while writing the novels. Like I said, not a good writer, but really great taste in music. She put together a set of playlists for her fans for each book in the Twilight Saga. Link in the show notes for the playlist for the first book. The soundtrack debuted at number one on the Billboard 200. Twilight was the first soundtrack to hit number one in advance of its film's release since the 8 Mile soundtrack in 2002. Twilight is the best-selling theatrical movie soundtrack in the U.S. since Chicago. Both the soundtrack and the lead single, Decode, by Paramore, were nominated for 2010 Grammy Awards. The soundtrack won a 2009 American Music Award for Favorite Soundtrack. The album was certified double platinum on April 16, 2009. 
Full Moon by The Black Ghosts plays during the opening credits. Tremble for My Beloved by Collective Soul plays as Bella gets saved by Edward from Tyler's van. Eyes on Fire by Blue Foundation plays as Bella waits in the parking lot for Edward. Never Think by Robert Pattinson plays in the restaurant in Port Angeles when Bella and Edward have dinner. Claire de Lune by Claude Debussy plays in Edward's room when Bella visits the Collins house for the first time. Spotlight the Twilight Mix by Mute Math plays as Bella gets out of the car at school with Edward. Let Me Sign by Robert Pattinson plays as Edward sucks the venom from Bella's hand and she wakes up in the hospital. Flightless Bird American Mouth by Iron and Wine plays while Bella and Edward dance in the gazebo at prom. The song was chosen for inclusion in the movie by actress Kristen Stewart, who plays Bella Swan. Fifteen Step by Radiohead plays as Victoria heads down the stairs from watching Bella and Edward in the gazebo and into the credits. It is not included on the soundtrack. Leave Out All the Rest by Linkin Park is the second song in the end credits, and Decode by Paramore is the third song in the end credits. Other media Supermassive Black Hole was used for and or covers of the song. The song was featured in the FIFA 2007 soundtrack. On May 8, 2008, the song was released as downloadable content for the rhythm game Guitar Hero 3 Legends of Rock on the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360. It was featured in the Series 6 Doctor Who episode The Rebel Flesh. The Doctor plays it inside the TARDIS at the beginning of the episode. Supermassive Black Hole is available to play on Rocksmith 2014 as part of a Muse five-song pack. Black Mirror featured the song in the episode Maisie Day. A metal band called Threshold did a cover of Supermassive Black Hole, and it was featured as a bonus track on their album Dead Reckoning. In late 2009, Billy Lunn of the British band The Subways released an acoustic cover of the song via Twitter. Croatian cello duo The Two Cellos released a cover of the song with accompanying video featuring Naya Rivera on vocals in December 2012, which also appeared on The Two Cellos studio album Intuition. The song was also used in What We Do in the Shadows Season 3, Episode 3 during a kickball scene as what I can only imagine is a spoof of The Use in Twilight. I haven't watched What We Do in the Shadows. I know it's good. I need to watch it. So how did the needle drop affect the song? Author Stephanie Meyer is a big fan of Muse, and after the song was placed on the movie's soundtrack, the band's popularity jumped. In the track's two and a half years of release before the Twilight film's debut, it had sold just over 150,000 downloads. In the year after the film hit screens, the track sold over 300,000. That's all for today. Join me next time when I geek out over another needle drop. Leave a rating and review if you are so inclined, and let me know what song you think would play as you and your vampire family play baseball during a thunderstorm. If you're listening on Spotify, be sure to answer the question. You can also visit my podcast page on Spotify, link in the show notes, and leave me a voice message. Don't forget to follow the podcast on Instagram and TikTok at Needle Drops Podcast. You can also find a playlist of the needle drops we've discussed so far on Spotify, link in the show notes.
If you'd like to guest on an episode or have an idea for a needle drop you want discussed, send me an email at needledropspodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts on anything we've discussed so far or any ideas you may have for future episodes. This podcast is hosted, produced, and edited by me, Francis. Social media support also provided by Francis. Thank you for listening, and please don't forget to share needle drops that will change your life with someone in your life you think would appreciate it. If you are feeling extra generous, I would absolutely love it if you would leave a rating and review of my podcast on whichever platform you prefer. Word of mouth and reviews really, really help. See you next time. Uh, uh.